you here this morning, and I want to take this opportunity to talk to us again today about the providence of God. Amen. The providence of God. We, we can talk the rest of this year about the providence of God. Volumes have been written concerning the providence of God. And when we talk about the providence of God, we're talking about how God reacts and acts to control things in his world. And I don't know if it uh, comes to as a surprise to you, but as I said last Sunday, God hasn't made all that he's made to simply leave it in the hands of people who don't care anything about it. God didn't do that. But what he has done is given us the responsibility to shepherd what he's given us with his help. Let me remind you that even the life that we are called to live in Christ Jesus cannot be lived apart from him. He's called you to be a disciple of Christ, but you don't have the smarts. You and I don't have the strength to know how to live in this sinful world. And if it were not for the blood of Jesus and this precious word of God, we would of all men be most miserable. So everything that God has done and continues to do through us is a part of his providential will. And today I want to talk uh, in the context of Acts chapter 25, verses 21 through 27, which we also looked at last week, we talked about the providence of God and how he deals in our lives. Today I want to talk about that, particularly as it concerns delays and interruptions. So I've entitled this lesson, God's Delays and Interruptions. Because God will interrupt your life. Some of you know something about that. Paul certainly knew something about it. Because in Acts chapter 8, the scripture says that Paul was yet breathing out threatenings against the Lord's church. Killing Christians, throwing them in prison. On a mission to the city of Damascus to continue persecuting Christians. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, a voice came from heaven. And a light shone on Saul as he was trekking toward Damascus. Little did, know, uh, did, did Saul know that Jesus would interrupt his life on that road to Damascus. Changed him made him somebody else now and his customized path now includes Jesus interrupting him on the road to Damascus. Every one of us has a road to Damascus. Every one of us. And on that road, God is not beyond interrupting us as we are busy with our private missions. He interrupted Paul on the road to Damascus. And I want you to understand that there are several other places in scripture where 
interruptions and delays from God are spoken of. And I just want to look at a couple of those this morning and I'll be finished. I want you to understand this. In the providential will of God, delays and interruptions are not necessarily bad. I know we don't like to be interrupted. I don't think anyone likes to be interrupted, especially if you are talking as I'm talking now. If someone were to break in on me and interrupt my message, that would, that would take me somewhere. I may feel some kind of way about that. Because when I'm talking, I'm trying to say something of importance and I really don't want to be interrupted. I don't think we take kindly to interruptions. But I want you to understand in the context of today's message that interruptions and delays are simply another way that God ensures that we will be where he needs us when he needs us to fulfill his purpose. Let me say that again. Some people don't take this personally. I want you to take this personally. I want you to first understand that you're not here by mistake. God placed you in the world for a reason. Whether you were born in wedlock, out of wedlock, under the bridge, on the bridge, over the bridge, God placed you here for a particular purpose. And therefore, none of us have the right to look at any others of us and say, you don't matter. You're not worthwhile. You don't count. We don't like you. Because when you say things like that, you really take an issue with who God made that person to be. God created us as black folk. It's amazing that folk don't like us because of our skin color. But you need to understand, if you're mad with me because of that, you're really mad with God because I didn't have a choice. I didn't ask to be born this way. God decided. And I'm not dissatisfied, God. I like my nose. I like my lips. I like my hair because you gave them to me. And I don't struggle to live up to anybody's standards but his. You got a problem with the way I look? You need to check with God about that. Because he didn't ask my opinion about how I wanted to look. And it amazes me that grown folk and smart folk are still in this world who hold people's hue. The color of their skin against them. God knows of no such discrimination. There is no respect of persons with him. So I want to, in, the, in, in, in talking about this this morning, to get you to understand that we all have a customized path that will result in us fulfilling God's purpose through us. Every one of us has been given something different to do that. And it's up to you to discover what that is and to use it. To make yourself available to God to be used by him to accomplish his purpose. So God didn't put you here 
because you are a smart physician. You're not here because we need another accountant in the world. You're not here because we needed another grave digger, a ditch digger, or a doctor, or a lawyer, or a, a, a baker, or a, whoever you are. God didn't put you here because we needed another one of whatever your career is. He puts you in this world specifically to do something that will result in his will being carried out. And it's really not about you. It's about God getting all the praise and all of the glory for using little old us in his miraculous will. So I want you to understand this morning that God often interrupts our plans with people or events. We're going to talk about some of the people he chose to interrupt this morning, even Jesus himself. But the providence of God is sometimes mind-boggling. And we can never tell how God may choose to execute his plans. We may think we know what they are, but we don't know how God is going to execute them in our lives. Let me ask you something. Have you ever asked God for something? And have your mind made up about how you want him to answer you? Ooh, that sounds like something we've been doing a long time. Everybody familiar with that. You've asked God for something, but you already have in your mind how you want him to answer you. Now, if that's where you are, then you have probably missed many of God's answers to your prayers. Because you're looking over here. And he's coming over here. Or are you looking to me, but the answer is in the person sitting next to you? Have you ever asked God for something and then tried to, to speed it up? Your emergency is not necessarily God's opportunity. What's going on with us doesn't necessarily change God's schedule. So because you have bills due and you have them due Monday and you waited till Friday to ask God for some help, you've given God two or three days to answer your prayer. God won't be backed up into a corner like that, folk. We don't tell him, he tells us because he says through Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I want you to understand that I'm in charge and it's not really about you. In our text today, Felix is gone and there's a new sheriff in town in Acts 25. Actually, it's a new governor whose name is Festus. The Jews had tried to trick Festus into sending Paul to Jerusalem because they were plotting to kill him before he got there. Their little trick failed, of course, and God moved in some powerful ways to secure Paul's trip to Rome. I want you to know that God in his wisdom will guide us through every circumstance we face 
but we must surrender to his will in order to make it through. Now, all I want to talk with you about this morning is the fact that sometimes God sets up intentional roadblocks in our lives. Things that we have nothing to do with. But things that will guide us along a certain path. You know, when people want to guide you along a certain path, they'll give you, they'll kind of map it out for you. You know what I'm saying? They will put some stakes up. Or, well, God has, in essence, mapped out a path for each one of us that is designed to end with his will being done. Sometimes in that, he sets up roadblocks or interruptions or delays. Sometimes in order to be right where God needs us when he needs us, he must put up some roadblocks that will force into us into a direction that we really weren't planning to travel. But in order, for we are, in order for us to be where we need to be, when we need to be there, God is the author of our lives. Now, Paul has been stuck in prison in Caesarea for two years. He's out preaching the word discipling, trying to get folk to become a member of the body of Christ. And in so doing, when he gets to Caesarea, they have a scene that's pretty much like our scenes today. Can you imagine, well, it shouldn't be difficult for us to imagine, that people are arrested without any evidence. If anybody can, uh, you can see that today, right? And that was the plight of Paul in Caesarea. They were wanting to try Paul, and some were even saying that he wasn't fit to live. But when somebody asked why, what has he done, they said, well, we, we really don't have anything on paper right now. <laughs> Isn't that a travesty? But I want you to understand that God allowed that. Travesty. They had no, here's a man whose life they were calling for, and yet they had no viable accusation against him. As a matter of fact, at the end of chapter 25, one says, I was hoping that he could testify so that we would have something to put in a letter that we could use against him. In other words, we don't have anything against you. You know, when, when you've been picked up for something, uh, especially if there's no evidence, what you'll find is that a lot of detectives and police officers will want to question you before you have asked for a lawyer. Now, the reason we Mirandize people is so that they understand you have a right to say nothing I don't care how mad they get. You can say one word, lawyer. Next question, lawyer. Because what they're looking for is for you to make some statements to them that will further incriminate you. See, because they may have picked you up initially because you fit the profile. You six foot. You got one of them crazy hairdos, and you black. 
That's all we need. They said somebody just robbed the store and it was six foot black man with those twists in his hair. That fits about 200 right here in our neighborhood. Right here. So they get out there and they round up these folk and they bring them in and then they put words in their mouth. Where were you at five o'clock? I was at home alone. Do you have any alibis? Anybody can verify that? No. And then they treat that like it's a crime. What you mean being at home and can't nobody verify? If you're going to use that as an excuse, you need a witness. This is the way they were proceeding with Paul. The majority of that crowd said, he needs to die. They weren't talking about whipping him. They weren't talking about imprisonment. He's already in prison. They're not talking about giving him a slap on the hand and letting him go. They said, he's not fit to live. Well, based on what, Jews? Well, we haven't come up with anything yet, but we don't like it. Suffice it to say, we can't stand it because he keeps saying things that hit us in our pockets. He keeps teaching stuff that keeps, he, he's messing over my business. And when you start messing with my money, folk don't want to slap you on the hand. They feel like you ain't fit to live. But you need to have more evidence than that. So even by their own admission, these Jews said it would be shameful for us to take this man who has appealed to Caesar without a charge. It'd be embarrassing for us to take him up there and Caesar say, well, what has he done? And we stand in there saying, well, we, we're still trying to figure out what he's done. But we know he ought to die. And that's the very last passage, the very last verse of Acts chapter 25. He said, it seems to me unreasonable. In other words, you're going to make me look like a straight fool. Sending his man to Caesar without specifying the charges against him. So don't you be surprised. When folk act like they don't like you and you don't know why. Because everybody that doesn't like you don't have a legitimate reason. If you had to ask them, what have I done to you? Well, I just, you, you just get on my nerves. Well, I'm sorry. But what have I done to you that is causing you to destroy my name in the neighborhood? I just, I just don't like the way you carry yourself. Hmm. This is in essence what they were saying to Paul. I don't like the way you talk. You don't have no right to be coming at folk like that. So you ought to die. Sometimes, folk, we face situations that are not our fault. And we ought not take any responsibility for it. Sometimes we face interruptions and delays that drive us crazy because we know God is trying to direct us somewhere, but we don't want to go. And during these times, we need to remember 
that time spent waiting on God is not wasted time. If we keep our focus, we will see more clearly the work God is doing in and through us. And we'll know that he is working out his kingdom plan even when we think we're stuck in a bad situation. God knows your situation. He ain't stuck you in nothing. He's just delaying it for a while. While he gets you ready for something he has for you. I want you to think about this. The next roadblock you face could be because God is working something out for you. Mm. Can you hear me? Don't start complaining about things not happening as quickly as you thought they were going to happen because God may very well be delaying you to get you ready for something he has in store for you that you're not ready to handle right now. I know you want the money fast, so you want to go out there and hit the lottery. But folks, everybody can't have a piece of the rock because everybody can't handle a piece of the rock. There are those of you right here, right now, who if you hit the lottery, would leave the church. And you're wondering, Lord, I need help just like everybody else. I went down there and got my scratch off, and every time I scratch it off, it says, try again. When am I going to hit it? Well, maybe God is not allowing you to hit it. Because if he did, you'd lose your rabid mind. Some of us don't think we would. And when we sit around and fantasize about, child, if I hit, I'd get a church some first. You ought to stop lying. <laughs> Just need to stop lying. The first thing we start saying is, I'm going to change my address, my phone number, and I'm leaving town. Why? Because I don't want nobody calling me, asking me for nothing. Talking about you're going to give 10% to the church. If you don't give 10% or 200, you won't give 10% or 2 million. Sometimes the Lord delays what we want because we ain't ready for what we ask him for. Some of us want children and the Lord said, wait, get your husband first. Mm. Get your wife first. I know what you want. But that's not in my will. For you. Some of us are waiting for things that we've been asking the Lord for. And he's keeping them away from us. Because that's not a part of his will for my life. And for your life. Now let's give, let, me give, let me give you a couple of good examples. That delay and, and interruptions have their place. I want you to look at John chapter 11 with me a minute. We're going to move on through this. John chapter 11. Now, those of you who are Bible students know that John chapter 11 in part deals with Jesus teaching as he normally does. But in this particular chapter between verses 18 and 26, something strange happens in the life of Jesus. 
The Bible says that Jesus, well, if we look back at that first verse, that a certain man was sick and it was Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. That's that same Mary we're talking about who was the one of the sisters of Lazarus. Well, Lazarus became ill according to verse 2. And his sisters in verse 3 sent for the Lord, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now look at this in verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness, number one, is not unto death. But for what? The glory of God. Mm. Sometimes your sickness is about the glory of God. Really ain't about you. Sometimes somebody's death who's close to you is a message for you. So that God can be glorified. So, so that God could be glorified. That the Son of God may be glorified through it. The Bible says in verse 6, Jesus stayed two more days where he was. Listen. Here's Martha and, Martha and Mary getting the message to Jesus that the person you love is sick. And rather than Jesus jumping up and heading toward Bethany from Jerusalem, the Bible says he stayed where he was two more days. When he eventually arrived, Lazarus had been dead four days. But Jesus has already said to him, don't be worried because Lazarus's death, his sleeping, is not unto death. His illness is not unto death. But Lazarus has already died. When Jesus got there, Mary and Martha acted pretty much like we do. In essence, their message to Jesus was, where were you when we needed you? We called you before he died. Got the message to you that he was sick. Why are you coming four days later, Jesus? Now he's dead, and they surmise that since he's been dead four days, he's stinking by now. I want you to understand that had Lazarus not died, we wouldn't have passages like the 25th verse in this chapter. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. If a man believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live again. We would not have heard those words except for the death of Lazarus. In the providence of God, that's why Jesus stayed two days longer. That's why he, he waited until four days later. When there was no doubt 
about his death because he was already stinking. His, his flesh was deteriorating. And the Bible says when Jesus got to the place where they laid him, it says in the 35th verse number one that Jesus wept. Help me understand. Here's Jesus weeping because of the death of somebody he's getting ready to resurrect. That speaks to me of the dichotomy that surrounds death. The physical part of man is drained, is brokenhearted, and often weeps, just as Jesus did. But the spiritual side of him says, if a man dies, he'll live again. And I'm going to prove that to you right now. Had not Lazarus died, the scriptures could not record the fact that Jesus wept. Because that's the only time that we find him weeping. Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus, but he was getting ready. And when he got ready, he went to the tomb where they had laid him. And the Bible says he prayed first that God would be glorified through, he, through what he was getting ready to show him. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. Now the Bible says that when he came out, he was still bound in burial clothes. That means his arms were bound. His feet were bound. So how in the world did he walk out of the tomb? The Lord just summoned him. And when he came out, Jesus says, now loose him and let him go. But before then, he hadn't been loosed. Show you what the, the God we serve can do, folks. Sometimes Jesus delays himself in answering our prayers because we need to get ready for what we asking him for. You may be asking for a good spouse and you not one yourself. Hello? You may be asking for a job that you really can't do. And God says no for right now. Let's get you ready for the job you're asking for. Hear me when I say to you that Jesus was, was no exception to this rule. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. If you begin with verse 18, let me get through this and we'll be where we need to be. Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. And I just want to show you through this that Jesus was not beyond being interrupted. He was not beyond delaying to reach out to people. Because in Matthew chapter 19, or Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is in the middle of an explanation about putting new wine into old wineskins. That's what he's talking about. And as he's talking about it, a Jewish synagogue leader 
who was no friend of Jesus, came to Jesus and interrupted him in the middle of what he was talking about and said to Jesus, my daughter has died. Now you imagine this. Here's Jesus sitting, and you know rabbis in that time sat as they taught. He's sitting there teaching them about putting wine, new wine, in old wineskins. And out of the clear comes one of the synagogue leaders, of all people, who interrupts Jesus and says, my daughter has just died. But I believe that if you'll come and put your hand on her, that she'll get up. And the Bible says, Jesus got up immediately and went with him. And so did his disciples. Now, here they go to the home, headed to the home of the man who has just implored him to heal his daughter. And just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. The Bible says she had an issue of blood that she had spent all of her money trying to find somebody to stop that issue of blood. But while Jesus is headed to the synagogue leader's house, here's a woman that reaches through the crowd and touches him. Because her attitude is, if I could only touch his garment, I'll be made whole. And the Bible says when she touched him, Jesus didn't approach that like he was being interrupted. You know how some folk can get on a mission doing one thing and then miss three or four good things that they could be doing on the way to that mission? Sometimes we get on this one mission and we can't see anything else. Here's Jesus going to visit a man whose daughter has just died and on the way there, a woman interrupts him by touches, touching his garment. And the scriptures say when he touched, when she touched his garment, he felt some power leaving. And he turned around and said, who touched me? And the disciples are looking at him like he's crazy. They're like, people are thronging you, Jesus. What do you mean, who touched you? A whole lot of folk touched you. He said, no, not like this, though. And he turned around, and here was this woman who was not even standing. She's reaching through the crowd, just trying to touch the hem. That's way downhill. If I can get my hand through there and just touch the bottom of his robe, I'll be made whole. And Jesus says, because of your faith, you're here. But I imagine if that official was there, he'd have been saying to Jesus, Jesus, come on, we ain't got time for this right here. I already told you my daughter is dead. Leave that alone. Take care of that on your way back. But Jesus didn't look at incidents like that as interruptions. You may be on the way to do a good deed. And God put three or four other good deeds in your path while you're going there. Are you easily interrupted? So much so that you can help somebody? Have you ever gotten off the expressway? and come to the light and somebody interrupt your day?
That's an interruption of your day. Or a sign that says, I'm hungry. Or a sign that says, I just want to work and I'll, I'll just take food. That's why we get so angry, see, because that interrupts our, we, we're on a mission. I'm trying to get somewhere, but I, I'm trying to beat the light. And here you come. Interrupting my solemnity. I'm sitting back chilling, listening to my favorite station. Got Jesus on my mind, going to the hospital to visit somebody. And here you come with your sign. Will you help me today? Well, here's the thing, folks. Jesus doesn't want us to see those folk as simply interruptions. Jesus cared more about the person than being interrupted. And I just believe that if Jesus could be interrupted to do some good for somebody, why can't we? Let's stop getting mad about being interrupted and just go and handle it. How do you feel about interruptions? I guess it depends on who's doing the interrupting. And what their attention is. But here's the point. There is much we can learn about ourselves when we consider what things we allow to interrupt us. Mm. We'll say that again. Because you may have been snoozing and may have missed what was you for you. There is much we can learn about ourselves when we consider what things we allow ourselves to be interrupted by. That is, what matters to us, what we pay attention to, and what we disregard. When that desperate father came to Jesus, begging Jesus to come and to raise his daughter, we are given no indication that Jesus was bothered by this interruption. He didn't say, can't you see I'm preaching? Sit over there and wait until I finish. Don't you know it's ill-mannered to break in on somebody and interrupt them? Jesus didn't say any of that. He didn't say, wait your turn. Wait until I'm finished. The Bible says he stopped right there and went with that man. Spoke to his needs so really Jesus got up and went with him, the scripture says, and you probably know that sometimes he will slow our pace. Sometimes he will keep us away from the dangers that we can't see. But beside his compassion and his brilliance, this passage has such a meaning to all of us because it really shows that when we get mad at people that God has made and how they deal, we really get mad with him. You really get mad with God. If you got a, if you got a problem with the way God made me or your neighbor, you got a problem with God, not with me and not with your neighbor. So the next roadblock you face 
could be because God is working something out for you. So be patient. Or it may be that he's working something out for someone else through you. Allow yourself to be used. Jesus performed some of the greatest miracles and shared his most powerful teaching because his schedule got interrupted so often and he was delayed. But when Jesus got interrupted, he didn't spin out of control because he was about the person and not his own agenda. Every interruption that we experience could very well be an opportunity to do some of our greatest work for the Lord. So don't complain about delays and interruptions. They are all a part of God's providential will for you. Don't give up on him so quickly. Have, you, have any of you experienced that now? Where you've been waiting for something and then when you finally get it, it's more than you could have ever anticipated? Have you ever prayed for a job and then got one and the folk on the job can't stand you? You better be careful what you pray for. And don't jump out there and try to do something on your own. Let God bring it to you. He knows what he's put you here to do. And it's with that in mind that I leave this message with you this morning because God may have been delaying for this day for you to hear something in this message. You don't have to tell us about your change of heart. Just change your heart and the Lord will know. If you're here today and you believe in the Lord, and you believe that all things work together for good to those who love him according to Acts or Romans 8.28, then be bold enough and courageous enough to, to take charge of your life in the sense that you're going to let God guide you rather than you trying to guide your own path. Will you give that up? Will you take, take your hands off the steering wheel? Get your foot off the gas. And by all means, take your foot off the brakes. You are a passenger in God's automobile. Sit back, buckle up, and be at ease. Because the master's driving this ship. You don't have to worry about it. If a storm comes up, he'll say, peace be still. And ride through the waves. Oh, folks. If you know him like you ought to know him, you ought to be sitting there this morning smiling and declaring hallelujah that I've met him for myself. And I know what he can do. When I was trying to be hard-headed, he steered me anyway. I didn't find out to 24 hours later that it was for my good that he had sent me over here rather than let me go here. Because even though I think I'm smart, sometimes I'm as crazy as a road lizard. And I don't understand what I'm doing. But I swear to you that I do. But Lord, I thank you that when I get on my high horse like that, you do something to humble me and to keep me on the path you have for me. If you want to be happier, let go of the steering wheel. If you want to be more peaceful, get your foot off the gas. 
If you want to be more content with what he's already given you, take your foot off the brake and let him have his way with you. He's never done us any wrong, has he? He's never led us wrong. He's never lied to us. He's never promised us anything that he didn't give if it's due. But there is a promise of eternal life, which we haven't gotten to yet. And I'm encouraging you this morning to not just be shaken. Be saved. Don't just tremble. Obey him. The message is yours. And if you're here this morning, you're not a member of the body of Christ. Acts 2.38 speaks to you. If you've been cut to your heart because of your faith, then the next thing you need to do is repent of your past life, be baptized, and added to the body of Christ for the remission of your sins. All the stuff that people are telling you you need to do, you don't need to do. They're just trying to make it seem better because we tend to believe that things that we can't understand are better than things that we can't. We're better with things that confuse us than we are with things that open the door for us. But God is telling us today, it's very simple. You don't have to jump through any hoops to be a member of the body. You don't have to have no dreams. You don't have to talk to no palm reader. All Jesus requires is that you have faith that he indeed is the son of God. That you be willing to submit your life to him through water baptism. Because when you come up out of that water, you are added to the body of Christ. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't buy the Holy Spirit. You can't pray for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given you once you become a member of the body of Christ. It's a gift. You don't try to buy things that are gifts. It's a gift. If you want some, come and get it. Right now as we together stand and as we sing.